Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Who would you rather get your information from? A few dozen openly biased sites explicitly trying to influence your opinion for their own benefit, or from two news sources claiming to be 100% objective and independent, but in reality pushed and pulled by owners, advertisers, state funding, and the personal prejudices of each individual working for it. Neither option sounds too appealing, actually. How about both? How about all of the above all the time? Canada is heading into election season, and things are about to get weird. I think we can safely predict that this will be the most ugly and chaotic media landscape that a federal election has ever played out on. And I feel fine. Guys, there are worse things than a partisan press. The press was born partisan. The ideal 
of the stately, pure, objective, plain dealer, the newspaper that owes nothing to anyone but its readers and to truth itself, that is a fairly modern and short-lived idea. And it was always bullshit anyhow. Before that, and probably after it, there were and will be pamphleteers, propagandists yelling at each other, scandalizing each other, shilling shamelessly for a myriad of interests. It is ugly, yes, but it can kind of work. If everyone is trying to expose everyone else, you might just learn the truth about all involved. Or, or maybe not. I mean, I, I don't want to replace one bullshit ideal with another. What I do know for sure is that in order for people to have a hope in hell of actually staying informed and making good decisions based on true information, they need to know who is behind the pamphlet, who is publishing the site, who is funding the Facebook page, who wants to influence them, and why. So with that in mind, we have published the Canada Land Guide to the New Partisan Press. It's on our website right now. And today on the show, the reporter who wrote that for us, Graham Gordon, will join me to walk me through it. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Chiara Margaret, Sean Butler, Salvo Candela, Pascal Ellefson, Chris Richard, Harrison Ellis, Rosie Hardiker, and Jennifer Ricard. I'm Jennifer, a librarian living in Montreal. I support Canada Land because I'm a librarian. I think it's important to think critically about the media we consume. I would support it even more if you talked more about Quebec. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. 
Graham, I know that like keeping track of uh, Canadian political conversation and news online is sort of like a daily uh, operation for you. We asked you to kind of cherry pick the ones that people most need to be aware of. How did you choose these particular ones? They had the most reach from what I could tell. It's not just that they have the most uh, stats. It's that for our listeners' purposes, as far as we can tell from where we're standing, Mm-hmm. These are the sources that are most likely to be in their news feeds. They not only have uh, incredible reach, they have incredible power in dictating uh, where the conversation goes during a news cycle now. And we're in the lead up to the federal election this year, right? So I think this is an invaluable thing for us to to look into and to see who's backing these organizations and what what their end games are, right? Because... We're going to be seeing them in our Facebook news feeds, our Twitter feeds, all over the internet. And I think we should know uh, what their agendas are. Okay. So we're going to be looking across the political spectrum. And, and it's interesting. You bring up their stats. We are getting some insight these days into how inflated and, and in some cases erroneous stats can be online. So everybody should take these numbers that that you're going to hear on this episode with a grain of salt. But, but Graham... Those numbers are are but one factor that you took into consideration. Uh, I know that you have also been keeping track of which sites get talked about online, which sites are successful at popularizing memes and breaking stories, and the sites and sources that you have chosen to talk about today are the ones that rank highest when like all of these factors are considered. So uh, let's begin. Let's start by talking about one partisan news site that I think everybody who listens to the show might already be familiar with. Ontario Proud. They're trying to unplug from the grid. Yes, all of them. Come on, help me. Listen up, y'all. Let's get one thing clear. I'm Kathleen Chen. I'm on the racket here. And I don't give a fuck about rising fees. Because if you need energy, you got to buy it from me. At this point... I guess uh, maybe you could offer us a summary of where they stand with some of the recent revelations and and what kind of role Ontario Proud, but also this network of proud um, websites. But I think most people see them in the form of Facebook pages, where you see them coming in. Who who are they and how are they going to play a role in this coming election? So Ontario Proud was founded by three guys that uh, all have pass in either the federal or provincial conservative parties or both. A couple of them worked for the Sun News Network, too. After the Rebel, they're probably the biggest. They're a third-party advertiser. They registered in the last Ontario election. What does that um, mean for our conversation here? Because like, I don't register Canada Land. Uh, we're not advertising to influence people in the election. That is, seems to be like a, a statement uh, that uh, we are here to lobby. We are here trying to influence people. It seems to distinguish them from a news source in my eyes. Is that is that an accurate way to think about that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that means that they're actively campaigning, right, in a way, and basically trying to get a certain party to win. Yeah. Right? So... They've denied yeah, that. They've said that they were just trying to get Kathleen Wynne to lose, not trying to get anyone to win. But I think that that... Uh, the, that yeah, that became pretty clear once uh, Kathleen Wynne's poll numbers were pretty atrocious at the start of the election. So then they quickly changed to attacking uh, Horwath and the NDP yeah. relentlessly uh, for the rest of the election. So We also found out last month where their money was coming from, at least in the last... Uh, in the six months to the lead up to the election. 
Goldsby and I did a, a story on that on Canaland that people should check out because it, it turned out that 90% or roughly 90% of all of their funds were coming from housing developers. I know you've talked about uh, this before. The relevance of this, of course, being that when I spoke to Jeff Ballingall on the show and the way that he's presented Ontario Proud consistently before they actually had to disclose their funding sources, it was presented as a grassroots, people-powered, people-funded mm-hmm organization where people were giving $5, $10, at the most $5,000, I think is the number he gave it at one point. And then we found out that, in fact, a very specific industry was funding 90% of Ontario Proud. So he maintains that the majority of their donors are still micro donors and just your average Joe, right? Mm -hmm. And that it was also true back when we asked him about that at the end of uh, 2017, at the time, most of our donors, most of our donors continue to be small, but like any philanthropic organization or any political organization or like any organization, really, um, some big donors tend to, you know, uh, put in some big money. But I, when I spoke to you guys in November, I believe it was, the biggest check we received was $10,000 at that point. And so the big money came later. I don't want to get into uh, this technical dissection of his language. I think it's fair to say that it's very misleading the way that they have presented themselves as for the people, by the people, yeah. funded by the people, whatever the number of donors is, the number of money we have learned, 90% of it came from an industry and a specific industry, uh, real estate and development, which mm-hmm. of course has interests in a Doug Ford government. Uh, and Doug Ford has said and then revoked, but also said again that uh, he wants to develop the green belt. So I think that your work and Jonathan's on this has been really important because here, just knowing who who is actually influencing this. There's the level of, I would say, deception and how they've presented themselves makes a guide yeah. like this um, important. There was like a lot of freaking out, I think, almost, or being really shocked about uh, Ontario Proud and the private interests that were funding them. But um, I mean, there were 55 other registered third parties. And if you look at the amount of support that left-wing parties were getting from unions, I, I don't know what people think about uh, some of these unions, but in the previous election, they spent, I think, 96% of all 30 party money to uh, basically help the liberals get reelected. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the pushback from the right on our Ontario Proud coverage was why are you focusing on the real estate and development uh, mm-hmm. uh, financing of, of messaging here when there's just so much more money coming from unions? Yeah. And I think that the answer to that is either because we're hopelessly biased or it's because this was hidden. It was yeah. it was deceptive. Plus their team won, right? And now look at uh, the moves that Ford's making as he continues to deny that he's opening the green bell, right? When they just put forth new legislation. Yeah, I mean, uh, just uh, absolutely explicitly here, I may agree with those who are saying that it is actually a matter of free speech for companies. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't see any good reason why companies should not be allowed to try to influence people's opinion. People are smart enough to figure it out, but I don't like when people are deceived as to who they're getting their information from. So explicitly, when the real estate development uh, industry is paying an organization that purports to be a people-powered grassroots organization, because of course, if you were hearing this from a development company, you would you, you would receive that information completely differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is why we are focused on Ontario Pride. What I'm trying to establish with you, Graham, here is do they still have clout in the conversation? Can they still put forth a meme, an idea, an argument and get a lot of of weight? Can they introduce uh, stuff into the news cycle? For sure. I mean, like, just take a look at last month, they had a Stop Saudi Oil campaign. We don't know where that money's coming from, but I believe they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on advertising. They had a TTC streetcar covered from the inside. and With this stop, basically, Saudi oil is blood oil, which is essentially an oil sense. They had radio ads, and then they were also... 
advertising anything on YouTube and uh, Facebook. Yeah. Promoting that campaign, right? So. Yeah, I, I guess you're kind of now describing how they're being influential through their spending of money, which I mm-hmm. guess is hard to distinguish from how influential they are based on social sharing. But I guess the two things uh, go hand in hand. The the fact that they're advertising based on the oil sands would indicate that they might have an, a new funding source. The oil sands might be paying for mm-hmm. some of this stuff. We'll never know either because it's not during an election yeah. uh, cycle, so they won't have to disclose those. And between who, BC Proud and Alberta Proud, like I think they're still very much in the game. Yeah, and expanding. Okay, Graham, I think that uh, Ontario Proud's closest corollary on the other side of the political spectrum would be this group Facebook page website, North 99. What can you tell me about them? I look at them kind of like the mirror opposite of Ontario Proud. And they use a lot of the same tactics as Ontario Proud to North 99. Like you'll see the, their videos. They make sure you have big block lettering right very simplistic easy to read when you're just hovering over the video to hook you in and same uh focus on vilifying conservative politicians now let's be very clear doug ford is lying with trudeau the their favorite meme is to contrast him with donald trump and say like look at how put together our guy is compared to the u.s president right so so before we go any further, I should uh, do my disclosure here, which is that one of the people behind North 99 is Taylor Scollin. And Taylor, before he started North 99, he's been our web developer at Canada Line mm-hmm. for years. So that's our affiliation. Make of it what you will. Uh, so you've got, yeah, Taylor Scollin. He used to also be a former Navigator consultant, uh, similar to Jeff, bowling all of Ontario. Oh, both of them used to work for I didn't know that yeah, about Taylor. Okay. And uh, he was a digital manager for Win. And then you've got Jeff Sharp. He's a freelance writer and web designer as well. And he helped the federal liberals back in 2015, I think, with web development. Mm -hmm. And then you have uh, Tara Mahoney and Dr. Safi Saeed. I don't know if Saeed has any political affiliations, but I know Tara Mahoney has also worked for the liberals in the past, too. Okay, so so similar to Ontario Proud, they have prior career affiliations that are Mm -hmm. partisan politics. Similar to Ontario Proud, they're registered as lobbyists. Is that correct? They did register. They didn't get any corporate donations in the last provincial election that I'm aware of. I think they raised at uh, only six or seven thousand dollars, but they were fairly new to the game at that point. They were founded back in August of 2017, right? So, yeah. and not just that, but I think it it is worth as we're pointing out all of the similarities. There is a difference, and that is that uh, that level of misdirection or deception that we attribute to Ontario Proud. I don't think there's anything about North 99. I'm not trying to defend them unduly, but I don't think there's anything where they've said that they're funded by one party and then we find out that they're, that they're funded by a different one. We, we have no knowledge of, of, of that happening. Mm-hmm. And all I know as of now is that uh, they do have monthly donors, a couple hundred, and uh, it seems to be more grassroots at the present time, but they will be registering in the federal election and we'll see if there are any surprises afterwards, I guess. Let me ask this. Uh, here's another point of distinction. Ontario Proud is pretty damn influential or has been with some of their memes in the past. Has North 99 ever had like a really big hit? Does their stuff carry? So according to uh, Similar Web, they get 102,000 monthly visits. They've done petitions like trying to shut down the offshore tax havens, and those tend to get a lot of traction. Okay, so so far we've talked about two pages that like they, they registered as lobbyists. Uh, the, the people behind them have uh, overt political affiliations in the past. 
I don't know that either of them are presenting themselves explicitly as news organizations. We're going to be talking about some other brands that I think are trying to to do so. But there is a little bit of haziness around that. As a Facebook page with a bunch of memes, North 99, I would never confuse them for a news organization. But they do have the cable mm-hmm. website. so uh, Which and, very uh, much looks like a, a news outlet and could be described as one. You kind of uh, have aesthetics of news. And then you've got yeah. sort of like, what do you say you are, but what do you look like you are? And mm-hmm. uh, the cable website does look like a news. And Ontario mm-hmm. Proud has something like that. But I've listened to a couple of podcasts on the cable as well as uh, articles that they The they North have. 99 guys have their own podcast as well, yeah. Yeah, but it's on the cable, I guess, which is a separate entity. But uh-huh. North 99 actively promotes all of their content, right? Similar to on what Ontario Proud's now doing with uh, the new conservative news outlet that uh, Jeff is one of the founders of. So North 99 has its own, which is the cable, which they call a media network. They don't call it a news organization. They call it yeah. a media for the many, but it's the same people behind it. And Ontario Proud, they don't call themselves a news organization, but Jeff is a founder of Nectarine. So let's talk about Nectarine. Okay, so the Nectarine was launched in the summer of 2018, and uh, it's a conservative news website um, with sections in politics, business, sports, and entertainment. Well, what a day in news, and what a day to speak to my friend Candace Malcolm, a fellow columnist at the Toronto Sun, and someone that, uh, you know, Candace, welcome to the show. Welcome to Beaver Tales. Look, we were supposed to be on talking about... Um, the idea that CBC is pushing that we all need to have fewer children so that we can deal with climate. It's such an innocuous, the nectarine, like that, you know, it doesn't immediately read as uh, screaming partisan politics of any kind. No, it's just a delicious fruit, right? So, (laughs) 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 I kept getting it mixed up with tangerine at first too. I can remember the name, but I don't know. It's different. And I I said earlier that this is like Ontario Proud has has Nectarine as it's like it's their site. They might take issue with that. What is the connection between Ontario Proud and Nectarine? Jeff Ballingall, he's one of the founders of the Nectarine and then the three founders of the Post Millennial, which we'll talk about. Matthew Azrielli, who's a property manager of commercial real estate. Ali Togva, a former president of the NDP's Richmond Hill Riding Association and uh, recent McGill grad. They're all based in Montreal, these three guys. Wait a second. Uh, Ali Togva is working on a conservative-leaning news site, but he... Yeah, his, his, formerly he worked, yeah. So uh, his political affiliations with the NDP? Or he, he has former ones, yes. Right. I think he would now more identify as a, a conservative, center, center-right conservative. Okay. This is a relatively new site. As best we can, using the stats available, how can we quantify their influence at this point? So they get anywhere between 100 to 300,000 hits on their websites monthly. I mean, it's a relatively new, they're probably only half a year old, right? But they were able to jump, jumpstart or get, get a big head start because of they can piggyback off of Ontario Proud, right? And all of their content is posted by Ontario Proud or a lot of it. So that's where they're getting a far reach almost immediately once they started. So I mean, that's immediately one of my questions is like, like we're saying earlier, Ontario Proud is uh, like a lot of these places will take a story from a Wire story or even a CBC story and then clip something, maybe take it out of context or, mm-hmm. or amp it up. North 99 might yeah, do the same torque, thing. They torque the story, right? To... So if, if, if you're kind of like doing that kind of uh, content, uh, it's very 
advantageous to be able to not need to rely on existing published material from established news brands when mm-hmm. you could have your own news brand. I think Jeff, in a, a conversation I had with him, he said, why would I send them to like a left-leaning newspaper like the Toronto Star when I can cut out the Toronto Star completely, right? I oh, he was take... that explicit about it. Yeah. Uh-huh. I see. And I note here that Matthew Azraeli, as you say, is one of the founders of uh, the Nectarine. What can you tell me about the Azraelis? So the Azraeli family, they're the 13th wealthiest family or individual on a Canadian business list. I wrote Matthew about this um, connection, and he he's very adamant that uh, the rest of the family has no involvement in either uh, the Nectarine or the post-millennial. Wait, you, you bring up the post-millennial because he's also involved in that? Yes. Ali Togva, him, and their friend... Madison Hoffmeister. Uh, he's actually an American expat uh, living in Montreal now, and he's their tech guy. Yeah, the three of them are the the founders, co-founders of the Nectarine with Jeff Ballingall, and then the three of them also founded the Post Millennial. Why, if you're going to start a new media startup, it's hard enough to get one brand on people's radar and to get one brand to be successful. Why would the same three founders f- start two different media organizations, both of which are doing Canadian political content? That's a good question. I mean, I, I'm not. Uh, the post millennial is more focused on either like investigative work, like scoops or column writing. So, okay, so there is this kind of like matrix between Ontario Proud, the Nectarine, and now the post millennial. Um, there's the, the the three are connected. But before we kind of like describe this as some vast right wing conspiracy, it is important to note that in the case, especially of the post millennial, they are commissioning and publishing investigative news stories. They, mm-hmm. so, so, though it's partisan, uh, they're out there reporting and they're hiring journalists to do so. Am, am I right? Yeah, and to be fair to the post millennial, I think they are a little different than, say, North ninety nine, or because of you look at like Ali Togva, he had previous affiliations with the NDP, and I think some of their columnists uh, are that they've published are left wing too, and they've published criticism of different party leaders, so they seem to be less partisan, although obviously they advocate for for smaller government, right? So I've even entertained uh, the possibility of maybe writing for them in the future. I mean, I didn't know Ali Togva when I initially reached out, but a couple of months have gone by and I've looked into maybe working for them in the future. So okay. full disclosure, I might uh, you might see my byline in the post-millennial in the near future. A disclo- so. Disclosure of a future possible conflict. Okay. Yes. Um, fair enough. I, I guess what I want to know is um, if you're looking at somebody like Matthew Azrieli, a young man from an incredibly wealthy family, getting into the media business, looking at the business model, I'm always concerned about where the money comes from. When, mm-hmm. when you're looking at the Nectarine and the post-millennial, it looks like these are fairly well-funded. What do you know about how seriously they are uh, about this as a business and, and whether or not they're you know in the black, in the red, where's, where the money's coming from? Did you get any insight into the business foundations of this? Well, only what Togva wanted to tell me, right? So, What did he tell you? The revenue right now is coming from a split among advertisers, consulting clients, uh, and investor cash, which isn't really revenue, right? Uh, so right now, I don't think they're making a profit necessarily, uh, but they're also expanding. I think they're taking it very seriously and creating uh, what he's described as like a center-right, more moderate outlet to what's on offer right now. I mean, there, there's not much on offer, I think, uh, when it comes to right-wing media in Canada. So they're part of 
uh, what you could, or it's been described as the intellectual dark web. They definitely write positive stories on Jordan Peterson and and that crowd. Here's a recent I, I wouldn't lump them in with like the rebel media, right? I don't think they're, uh, I mean, Tagva is Muslim himself. They're not uh, virulently like anti-Muslim or... They're interested in traffic. Here's a recent headline. You know, everyone's talking about the Louis C.K. bootleg. Uh, headline from the post-millennial, Ellen Barkin hopes Louis C.K. gets raped. I would consider that kind of a rage bait headline. Uh, yeah, they definitely do some of that. I mean, so does the Huffington Post too, right, I would say. but Right. Um, and and dipping into kind of like broader cultural conversations, not, no, no, no Canadian mm-hmm, focus necessary. That's definitely a big focus, yeah. And they do target the American market as well. So where I get confused, Graham, is like, as a media entrepreneur myself looking at the business of media and saying who's doing what, how are they making money, what's working, what isn't, my definition of working might be different than somebody else's. You know, like if you're actually trying to kind of like get traffic, sell advertising, get direct financing from your readership in more of a traditional model, which is what we do here. Mm-hmm. That they're is definitely a- working on that too. Like they're trying to get subscribers actively right now. Right. And, yeah. If your ambition is something else entirely is to just build up as much influence as possible and get your money from another source, then maybe you're not interested in that meat and potatoes media business should i think of should i think of the post-millennial as a traditional media company in that way that they're trying to just make money off of making media uh that's the sense that i get i don't think they're planning to be a third-party advertiser in the next federal election right so it seems like they are trying to get uh quality content and a variety of of stories right and not just being overtly partisan. They just invested in a six-figure studio in Montreal, and they're going to be pumping out a lot of video in a month or two. Graham, let's briefly revisit Press Progress. Uh, I had uh, the two gentlemen who are running Press Progress on the show for an episode of Candlelent in the past. Um, Of course, they have an explicit affiliation with the Broadbent Institute. Remind us what that means. So the Broadbent Institute was founded by a former uh, federal NDP leader, and it's a think tank that was supposed to be a response to the Fraser Institute for the NDP party, right, to push out studies and and things that would push uh, a progressive uh, narrative, right? So Press Progress, I think, uh, absolutely does present themselves as an, a, a news organization, mm-hmm. but uh, but one that I guess at least explicitly is progressive news. As I recall, they get a little bit uncomfortable when you suggest that they are uh, an NDP news source. Uh, there's like some arm's length. They like to define that as being two separate things, but that connection does exist. That being said, Press Progress actively reports news from that progressive perspective, and they have a, f- a pretty decent number of scoops uh, to their credit at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they broke the the story about the Rebel Media Fund that was picked up by a lot of the mainstream press afterwards. I mean, they've been cited. when Ezra was trying to do some kind of like a retirement fund through the like, you know Wu Tang Financial. This was Rebel, <laughs> Rebel Financial. Yeah, and then they've been cited by like major U.S. outlets too, like the Washington Post, uh, MSNBC's uh, Rachel Maddow show, Teen Vogue. <laughs> they've even cited. Everything's um, moving so quickly that their model almost looks a little bit outdated, like compared to these. New Facebook forward. <laughs> like, do you think that there's still going to be a, a factor? Is Press Progress kind of gearing up? Uh, what, what do you know about what we can expect from them in this election cycle? Well, the interesting th- thing with Press Progress is, like, I would say they're they're pretty partisan, right? They've never registered as a third party. They also have press credentials in Ottawa, mm-hmm. part, in, at Parliament Hill. They're press gallery members, right? So, 
they very much act and behave as if they're just a regular news website, right? So their most common narrative is they'll find previous damning statements that uh, conservatives have said in the past and and bring those up, or they'll their affiliations, right, with some, shall we say, odious characters, I guess. Uh, they do a lot of candidate vetting and, and social media deep dives into people's past to, mm-hmm. you know, essentially people who might be presenting themselves as more center-right, mainstream, they'll actually try to find out, well, here's what this person said earlier. Yeah. Okay, I want to end by talking about this website that you brought to my attention. I actually hadn't heard of this before. SpencerFernando.com. Who? You got to follow a few more conservatives then on your Twitter. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm hopelessly in my bubble. Yeah. Uh, please help me with that. Who Who is Spencer Fernando? So, yeah, he's the only individual on this list, but he's a prolific writer. He's a firebrand conservative um, based in Winnipeg. BC NDP Premier John Horgan, or Hypocrite Horgan, as many people are calling him, is providing a perfect example of the danger of the NDP holding power. Horgan is simultaneously arguing that he should have the power to block oil coming in from Alberta, while suing Alberta to stop them from sending less oil. You can't get any dumber than that. It's the kind of foolish hypocrisy that can only come from a far-left party that thinks capitalism is evil and ignores the repeated failure of socialism. And it's why the economy always suffers when the NDP is in control. He had past affiliations with the Conservative Party, but he actually had a falling out with them when he advocated the federal conservatives to support the missing and murdered indigenous inquiry, the proposal to have one. He was pushing Harper to have an inquiry. Yeah, so the guy's kind of uh, a maverick on the right, or he doesn't care about currying favor with any party, although I think he's more aligned now with Bernier's People's Party of Canada, definitely a libertarian bent to his website. But he, he writes very, like, how should I phrase this uh, inflammatory headlines, I, I guess. Let's have a look uh, here. Disgraceful, all caps. Justin yeah. Trudeau had time for Joshua Boyle, but not for Tory Stafford's father. Arrogance. Arrogance. Justin Trudeau <laughs> refuses to answer questions on why a criminal who never served in military is getting treatment covered by Veterans Affairs. <laughs> it's funny here because the, the the content of the sentence is usually kind of complicated and and uh, very Canadian. So you need that big screaming uh, blocks all caps w- word to get people dividing Canadians. <laughs> Justin Trudeau called conservatives disgusting for asking questions on government ethics. Um, He's got a good hook though, I think, for like staunch conservatives. Um, I think it works for him. I, I guess. Mean, stats show it, at least. He's getting hundreds of retweets, like thousands of likes on Facebook. So I, I tried to reach out to Fernando, uh, but he was the only one who uh, wouldn't get back to me. Uh, maybe he saw Candleland on my Twitter bio. and uh, Yeah. Okay, what can you tell me about him? Is this is he doing this as sort of like his personal blog? Is this a business to him? Um, does he have a day job? Where, where is this all coming from? It's hard to say because he has several ads on every page, but from my understanding, you can't make that much on ads online now, right? Like, if, especially if it's just an ad service that's... I, I mean, everything's about scale, but display mm-hmm. advertising in Canada is... Uh, he's got several per page, though. Uh, he's got crowdfunding where he's got... Uh, like under 40 patrons in his crowdfunding. You've reported for us that he's getting uh, pretty good, 354,000 monthly views mm-hmm. uh, on his website. So I mean, on his LinkedIn page, it says that he works for a professional photography company, too, currently. Maybe he just hasn't updated it, but yeah. I mean, he's. it seems... He's spending a lot of his time writing because he's got 
typically three, four articles a day that he's pushing, right? Sometimes even more. So so here's this guy who very well may be just like completely operating independently and mm-hmm. has a uh, growing influence. And you can kind of contrast him with this other operation of Ontario Proud, Nectarine, the post-millennial, wealthy backers, six-figure video studio, <laughs> big ambitions. And when it all comes out in the wash as to who's actually moving the dialogue, uh, this guy might be doing just as much influencing as... Uh, yeah, as at least getting as many hits, right? So yeah. it's... Uh, it's incredible, right? Like no news reporting per se. Like this guy's not out there trying to break stories. No, not typically. Although he did interview uh, Maxime Bernier once. Okay, and f- one last. I don't know if this is a footnote or what, but you brought to my attention this this YouTube account. I mean, the, like the most basic unit of influence, Steeper Thirty Three. Yeah, this anonymous YouTuber. Like, if you have a spectrum of, like, doing, like, uh, long investigations or really, you know, doing original content that's expensive, and then you've got people who are just sort of talking and doing a a 30-second diatribe, and then you've got Steeper33, who, as far (laughs) as I could tell, just takes clips from Question Period... And add some music to it. Add it's a crazy scary headline. music yeah. and then gives it a, a, a YouTube-friendly search engine optimi- optimized headline yeah. where the headline will say, you know, watch this minister get destroyed. <laughs> and then yeah. you watch the clip and the minister is criticized and not necessarily destroyed. Uh, like, it, it, they're just taking clips and putting evocative headlines on them. And, yeah, and, and I guess with them. adding the music, it adds an emotional element to it, right? Speaker, on that, as the member, will, as the deputy member, member will, uh, that this uh, tax, uh, this uh, pricing. Uh, CBC did a report. They found that it was outperforming the CBC in a lot of news websites, in, at least with recommendations. And yeah, it would be the top recommendation a lot of the time. Yeah, the recommendation right. thing is interesting. Okay, so Steeper33 has got 25,000 subscribers. Not bad, I guess. Uh, you know, when you compare it to the big it's YouTube not, celebrities, yeah, it's, it's not, not, not or, fantastic. Yeah. But the videos have been viewed more than 25 million times. So people yeah. are not saying, I'm a Steeper33 fan, I subscribe, but, but they are watching the hell out of this stuff. And mm-hmm. what CBC found is that, you know, it's been it's been well documented that the YouTube recommendation algorithm is like, if you watch a clip of, uh, you know, the agenda on TVO, you'll increasingly be suggested more and more drastic, extreme political content. And, and within three clicks, you could find yourself going from a mainstream news source to something that's quite radical. And what they found is that the recommendations of Steeper 33 are actually outpacing recommendations for mainstream news sources, probably just because the headlines are better SEO'd, right? Yeah, and I think he gets some help too, right, with Twitter and and Facebook with a lot of staunch conservatives that make a point of sharing those videos, right? So that gives them a a head start. So the CBC investigation, like, and the fact that CBC investigated, (laughs) I mean, you know, people taking a clip of of political footage and putting a spin on it is just Mm -hmm. like pretty basic uh, political discourse, you know, but CBC kind of presented this as like, this is a pernicious and, and, and concerning thing. And they got quotes from experts saying, we're really worried about this uh, Steeper 33 yeah. phenomenon, <laughs> you know, and they even went and did a deep dive on, on Steeper 33's history to find that this person is a conspiracy theorist who had like, you know, 9-11 truther stuff going on. 
it all felt a little bit um, breathless to me. Uh, I don't want to use the word hysterical. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I felt like, like, is this really that big a deal? Uh, the person's not um, fabricating fake news stories from whole cloth. They're just sort of putting these... Uh, yeah, from what I gather, maybe in the past it was conspiratorial. Right Do you know anything about who this person is? Are there nefarious um, connections? Is well, there... Spencer Fernando responded indignantly to the CBC investigating that, but he's adamantly denied that Steeper 33 is him. Wait, but... is, is there reason to believe that it is the same person? Well, I mean, if you look at the headlines and the way it's done, it it seems similar to Spencer Fernando, but I I couldn't get uh, definitive confirmation that it is him. And Ali Tagra from uh, the post-millennial had a conversation with him and he he adamantly denied that Steeper 33 is him. So take of that what you will. Uh, Not much. I don't think much from that. (laughs) Okay, look, you went out and looked for the most influential popular sites and that's what we came up with. I got to say, Graham... It looks a little crappy, amateurish, like like some of them homemade. They look like there's a mm-hmm. crappiness to them. You know, there, there's like I, I, I have to wonder, are we just like five or 10 years behind? Like in, in the States, there's a level of sophistication, you know, even to the, you know, production values of Infowars going up or some mm-hmm. of these uh, podcasters, uh, you know, Shapiro. And you know, there's, there's people who've gotten quite effective in their propaganda as yeah. broadcasters, as webcast, whatever. They've gotten good at it and they've amassed huge audiences. The Canadian version of it is either like, I don't know, trailing behind by five or 10 years or is maybe like looking homemade and amateurish on, on purpose. What, what do you think? I think they're just going with what is successful. And I mean, Canadian content has always been pretty lame when you compare it to American content, whether it's Hollywood compared to CanCon, right? Like, I don't, I don't think it's that they're delayed at this point. I think they're catching up right now. Yeah. I mean, the content's just more kitschy and that's typical of Canadian content, I think. And do you think that our like attempt to predict, it's, it's the best guess is that these are the sites uh, and players that are going to have an impact in this coming cycle and, and that if some new revelation or scandal comes out, it very well may be, may be from one of these players. It seems to me just as likely that it's from some left field or right field thing that we don't even see coming yet. Like we haven't even talked about like, it, it, like is Faith Goldie working to somehow interject herself into the conversation? Like it doesn't have to even necessarily mm-hmm. be somebody presenting themselves as a media company, a lobbyist, a Facebook page. It could just be somebody with a personal brand mm-hmm. um, or someone we haven't even anticipated yet. I mean, you know, how, yeah, well, how crazy do you think it's going to get? I mean, <laughs> only time will tell really. Like I... There, there were several other players I could have looked into, right? Like, there's an endless list, really. If you start looking at, with social media, just people with big followings, right? Like, they in themselves have a lot of influence now, and they can easily just do a live stream or just the average citizen who works in an industry that's involved with government, right? Like if they want to expose something, it's easier than ever, right? Like they it could come from anywhere. Yeah. Like you Yeah. And then these players, if it's beneficial to their ends, they're gonna amplify. Yeah. The way that something kind of can come out on somebody's Twitter account and then just kind of like ricochet mm-hmm. around and then Or they'll do a quick rewrite and then they'll have that news story being shared with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
I think when it's all said and done, like in conclusion here, the big fear that I believe, you know, my opinion, there's all this talk that the newspaper bailout was an attempt by Trudeau's liberals to bribe the media and get more sympathetic coverage by providing this uh, financial lifeline. Mm-hmm. I, I maintain that, like, it is political, but it's not as simple as that, and it, that wouldn't be an effective way of doing that anyhow. I kind of think that the motivation, not just from the Trudeau government, but from the political establishment is, I think that they're afraid of a Canada without a mainstream press. I think that that, that mm-hmm. is such a chaotic idea of like, it's going to be uh, foreign news organizations. It's going to be people yeah. out of their basement. It's going to be the Ezra Levant. It's going to be just the Jesse the, Browns, yeah. Canada, like that just to have any kind of message control or any kind of um, anticipation of what's going to come next would be impossible. And so for, you know, for the mere price of uh, 500 plus million dollars, they can kind of just maintain a status quo mm-hmm. where, where at the very least, Post media might not be sympathetic to the Trudeau government, but they will operate like a news organization, you know, maybe with the exception of the Toronto Sun. What I see here is kind of a growing trend that it might not, I don't know. Well, I mean, the the report they commissioned, right, was called Shattered Mirror. So I wrote a piece on my own site before I uh, wrote a piece for you guys on that report, right? How they trumped up, no pun intended, uh, the fake news in the States, right? Or Yeah, they made dozens of mentions of fake news, which isn't really, hasn't been a factor in Canada. Yeah, and I played off that, the title, right? Shattered Mirror. They want to put the mirror back together again and have the mirror tell them that they're the fairest of all basically <laughs> right or have like pretty friendly media I, but I kind I want- of am, I'm embracing the chaos I mean like as a freelancer <laughs> lots of outlets to potentially work for um, it's a war out there alright Graham Gordon thanks very much for telling us about all this thanks for having me on Jesse that was your Canada Land show I hope you enjoyed it you can email me about it I read everything that you send me I am at jesse at canadalandshow.com. Our Twitter account is at CanadaLand. Our website, where you will find Graham's guide to the new partisan press and a whole bunch of other stuff that we are publishing all the time, is canadalandshow.com. There is a new episode of CanadaLand Commons, Archie Mann's series on corruption in Canada, a new episode you are going to want to listen to. It is out this week. Check that out. This episode of CanadaLand was produced by Kasia Mihailovic. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do and you want to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, please support us at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.